this morning we're going to continue to look through Colossians, uh, but we're only going to look at about five verses. So we'll look at Colossians 1, beginning at verse 24 through 29, and we'll leave the next section for uh, next week. Um, This is Paul continuing to write. Last week he explained a lot about who Christ is, that Christ is sovereign over creation, he's sovereign over redemption, and he is the one who reconciles. He is the one who not only holds all things together in this universe, but he's the one who redeems things and renews things. And it is him that we rest in for that renewal and for that great work. Let me read this text. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles where you're seated. Uh, it's uh, page three, 638. Um, let me read, though. This is God's Word, and even just the reading of God's Word is good and healthy for us. So please listen. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you and we ask that as we hear your word, that your Holy Spirit would uh, not only encourage us, but convict us, that we would know more and more uh, what this true hope is in Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Uh, I heard a story not long ago, and it's a really good story, but the problem is I don't know if it's true. So... I preface that. Not my whole sermon, just this story, okay? Uh, Some of these parts are true. Uh, There's a man, uh, St. Anthony. He uh, lived end of 3rd century, early 4th century. He was a start. He was like the father of monasticism, uh, what like the monks are. They'd go and live in the desert and live alone. Uh, That's all true. I'll get to the point where I don't know if it's true or not, but it's really good. Um, And he, uh, in 313, there's something called the Edict of Milan, which acknowledged Christianity as a respectable religion and almost ended persecution against Christians. Okay, all those things are true. The thing that's not true, uh, and I couldn't find this, I searched and searched, but um, it's been said (laughs) that uh, St. Anthony said after the Edict of Milan, he said, if suffering has ended... How are we supposed to practice Christianity? Because suffering was such a big part of who they were as a people. And you read through the Bible, and it is, uh, you trust in the Lord Jesus, and there's suffering, and there's persecution. People are killed for this faith. So, uh, I hope you thought it was a good story. I think it's very good. Um, But in our culture, we live on the opposite end of this. 
we have the tendency to believe that if we're Christians, that means everything is going to go really well for us. And if something is wrong, then our automatic thinking is, what have I done wrong? What have I done wrong to cause this? Now, sometimes you and I have done stuff wrong, and we sin, and we reap the consequences for it. Uh, But sometimes in God's providence, he walks us through suffering. And Paul here is talking about suffering for the church. In his role as a minister, he suffers for the church. And as we look through this passage, we're going to see that Paul uh, says that his suffering for the church is not in vain. Paul's calling to be a minister, even though he suffers, is not in vain. And the hope that we have in Christ is not in vain. Paul begins this passage by saying, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Uh, We, I, would have a very hard time um, continually proclaiming that because I don't like suffering any more than you do. And, but to be able to rejoice in it, I think we need to understand what does rejoicing look like in the midst of suffering. It does not mean that you're throwing parties every day. It means that you understand that God is sovereign and his hand is good and we live in a broken world. And as we walk through this broken world, there is suffering. But we can still rejoice and have joy because our hope in life is not that just our suffering will end. Our hope in life is that there is hope beyond the grave. There is a God who meets us where we're at. There's a God who cares for us, who communicates with us through his word. In verses uh, 15 through 23 that we looked at last week really set up this passage where we can really understand suffering only when we really understand God's sovereign hand, Christ's complete authority over all things. When we understand that, then we can be in suffering and we can still have joy. Uh, Martin Luther's wife said, I would have never known the meaning of various psalms or come to appreciate certain trials or known the inner workings of the soul. I would have never understood the practice of the Christian life and work if God had never brought affliction to my life. Uh, There's something that we learn in the midst of suffering that you and I cannot learn by studying it. Um, But it's only really when we can acknowledge who God is that we enter suffering and we have a much better and healthy perspective of what suffering is. Paul here proclaims that he rejoices in his own sufferings for your sake. He rejoices in his suffering for the sake of this Colossian church. Now remember, he, he'd never been to this church before. So it's one thing to say, like, I have a great love for you as being involved in Westside Church, uh, whether you know it or not. <laughs> I, I have a great love for you, and I care for you as people. But when I hear stories about other churches, there's not this automatic uh, same love I have for them. But Paul, because he loved the, the church so much, God created the love in him for this specific church. There are things that we learn from suffering. And suffering allows us to really look and research what is our hope about. 
in uh, Romans, 3, Romans 5, 3 through 5, it talks about suffering. And it says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Again, Paul says the same thing. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Paul's suffering for the church was his suffering as he desired to proclaim and promote the work of Jesus. Sometimes we just think that we are to uh, just only proclaim what Jesus has done. We are called to do that, but we're also called to promote it. Meaning, the way we live our life models who our Redeemer is. So, going out of our way to love and be gracious to people, serving people, speaking the truth to people, are all great things that mirror our Redeemer. The mirror what true life is supposed to be about. So now we get to one of the hardest, maybe most confusing little phrases in the New Testament. So let's just skip it. Um, so this, this is what it says. Beginning now, I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I am, fulfill, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church. Uh, there are many different beliefs of what this means, but as we look to understand something in Scripture, the key to really understanding Scripture is looking at the, the rest of the Bible to really understand what it means. So you could take this verse out and say, uh, the, wrongly, Jesus did a great thing, but Paul had to suffer more to complete Jesus' afflictions and suffering so we would be set free wrongly, you could say that if you take that out of that passage. But if you read it in the context, we can understand a little bit more of what, the, what is the point that Paul's trying to get across. Uh, first of all, this does not mean that Christ's work is incomplete. And if you have your Bibles open, um, in verse chapter 1 of Colossians, verse 13 says, He, talking about Jesus, has delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. There's a completed redemption in Jesus. Verse 20 says, And through him to reconcile to himself all things. He alone is the great reconciler. Verse 22, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Again, he is the great reconciler. So there was nothing lacking in Jesus' work of atonement, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Nothing is lacking. It is finished. But what this does tell us, that there is a very close relationship that develops in suffering between Christ and and the church. When we suffer, we can relate to others in their suffering more. We relate to Christ's suffering more. One writer says about this passage, thus, the sufferings are the sufferings of God's people, but they are ultimately Christ's sufferings 
because of his identity with his people. Um, I think about this um, in this way. Um, so in many of you know, and I try to make this illustration every Sunday, and I appreciate your graciousness, but you know my wife's in hospice, and so what I've been doing in the last month is talking to a lot of other people who have uh, lost their husbands or wives, children. And it's really amazing to me that when the conversation begins, there's not a lot of words. There's just some nodding. And to me, there's a whole conversation that's taken place. But there's not, there's such a union in this suffering that they can understand to an extent what I'm going through. Um, and, and so there's a union in that. Just like um, Paul's suffering is not fulfilling what is missing in Jesus' work of atonement, but there's such a union in that that as Christ's church suffers, it really is Jesus' suffering. Saul on the road to Damascus in Acts 9. Um, Saul, Jesus says to Saul, 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 why are you persecuting me? Well, who was Saul really persecuting? He's persecuting the church. But in, in Christ's union with us, it was Christ being persecuted. Christ getting more and more afflictions upon him. Mark 13, 13 says, You'll, you will be hated um, by all for my name's sake. When we suffer for Christ, it is, in a way, Christ's suffering. Not adding to his atonement, not suffering over again, but it's only because of the union that Christ has with you. This is Jesus as Emmanuel. When you suffer, He's with you. So um, Paul's suffering for this church is not in vain. And we can translate that through our lives. Our suffering for Christ is not in vain. It's not wasted. Then we have Paul being called as a minister. Verse 25. A minister's uh, key job, as Paul explains, is to Uh, proclaim the word of God so that people would understand the fullness of the knowledge of God and would understand how that transforms the way we live. Uh, Verse 25, of which I became a minister. He's talking about the the church, the body of Christ, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make known the word of God fully. The mystery, hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. This mystery is that uh, God's people are united around Christ. Now, we can read that and sort of nod and understand. Uh, we don't live in the first century where there was hatred between the Jews and the Gentiles. 
we presently don't live in our country with the depth of hatred that these two groups lived with. So for um, Paul to say, this is the mystery that you people who hate each other can be unified around Christ and you can make one people only because of Christ is outstandingly significant. And also as that really trickles down, it really means as there's divisions between you and another person, between husband and wife, between parent and child, Christ is the one that brings unity in that. This is the mystery, that Jews and Gentiles would be one people. How could this happen? This is mystery of Christ in you. The hope of glory. So it's not Paul saying um, that what we need is a better strategy to contextualize these two communities to get them together. What we need is a better, uh, better signage, better program, better outward things. That's what we need. That's what's going to bring unity. Paul says, no, no, no. It's uh, this mystery of Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's all that it is. But what our tendency is, is to find things that we link up with because of vision and strategy. And then what happens is, you and I uh, link up with things, uh, churches sometimes, because of that. Like, I'm all about your vision and strategy, which is okay. But at the core of that, in our church, and in so many other thousands and thousands and millions of churches, it really is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's what unites us. So if you're here and you're married, if you're a young child, if you're single, if you're a widow, a widower, you know what links us all together? Christ, the hope of glory. And this is the body of Christ, that we all look different. And we're unified around this same thing. So when we have conflict, we realize this is what unifies us. Not having the same ideas, not dressing the same, but Jeremy and I sometimes do that on Sunday mornings. Um, it really is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And really, this brings out one of the striking differences between Christianity and every other religion. Uh, in every religion, there's some aspect of hope and peace and rest and joy. And in every religion, it is either uh, an idea, uh, a, uh, a concept that people continually try to grasp and live out. The drastic difference between every other religion and Christianity is it's not an idea in Christianity. It is a person. So when we talk about peace, we don't talk about this idea of peace. We talk about Jesus. When we talk about hope, we don't talk about we need a better idea of hope. You know what hope is? It's Jesus. Everything you and I could ever hope for, could ever find peace in, uh, the greatest thing that we want to be reconciled will only be done in Jesus because of what he has done, which is an incredibly powerful thing. So it's not thinking about what hope would look like. You want to know what hope is? Study the life of Jesus. He is the one who is our hope. 
Our hope is a person, and he is personal. And there's a personal connection between Jesus and his people. So in the midst of suffering, that personal connection is there. Life and suffering is not vain. In our calling, whether you're a minister or you're an accountant, you work in retail, you're a stay-at-home mom, you're a professor, whatever it is, your calling is not in vain because of what Jesus has done. And then Paul wraps up this section by talking about his struggle. And he says, my struggle for you is not in vain. Verse 28 says, in him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within us. Uh, as if you are here this morning and you, uh, you trust in Jesus, you can probably re- remember a time in your life where you started to do that and figure out what that looked like. Uh, one of the other amazing things about Christianity is we do not have these phases of religious maturity that we need to learn different things or we need to look for a different source of our growth. The only source of any growth in Christianity is understanding the gospel. I know that's simple. Because you and I, we want ten steps to do something, eight steps to do something else. We want to create like a pyramid where we can uh, feel like we've arrived a little bit more spiritually and maybe we're over over some people. Uh, but really, the body of Christ is, it's this. This is what it looks like. It's you it's me, and here we are this morning. This is how fancy it is. And it's you coming with struggles with your sin, and it's me coming with struggles with my sin, and we gather on Sunday morning, and we need to hear the truth, and we need to hear the truth from the person who sits next to us. One of the things I... um, I think about sometimes is, and you, you probably think about this in your work. I mean, this is my work and my calling. I think, um, and you phrase it differently, but as a church, Westside Church, what is a win? And I know that sounds like we're competitive, we're out to win, but think about it, like, what is a win? What is a story we would hear that we would chalk up on the board and say, that's a win? Um, it's not how many people come on Sunday morning. But we keep track of that because you're real people. We need to figure out what to do if there's 30 or 40 or 50 more of you. Uh, It's not that, a win is not that we um, take in more money one year compared to the last year. Though you are a very generous church, and that's what happened this last year. And so this year we were able to raise the budget. But that's not a win. This is what is a win to me. And this is what it's talking about here, of being in relationships with people as we are maturing in our faith. It's when you come to me, or someone else, it doesn't have to be me, <laughs> please find someone else. <laughs> um, when, when you go to someone 
and you are honest about your sin. And there's a, be, there's a light that's beginning to shine in the dark area of your life. So you can honestly say, I'm addicted to pornography. I'm addicted to my job. I'm addicted to people-pleasing. This is where I hold my identity, and I need some help. Or you can say, I hate my wife. I hate my kids. If you're a kid, you can say, I hate my parents. And you're letting light shine on that. It's a whole different thing than creating a team, okay? You're letting light shine on the darkness. You're taking a step of maturity. And then you say that to someone, and then someone who receives that gives you not 10 ways to fix yourself, gives you Jesus, gives you hope, gives you peace, gives you rest. When that happens, that's a win. Now, it might seem like, and I think this is the reality of ministry, and Paul experiences at a much larger level than we will hopefully ever experience. The idea that a church gets messier before it sees more reconciliation. Because to have reconciliation, you have to expose what's going on in your life. And you have to take the bold step to say, you know what, I'm going to be honest about this. I know I need to tell someone else what's going on in my life. That's a win. And so our church will look a little bit messier. And honestly, as much as I don't like that and it brings more stress and confusion, that's real ministry. But the problem is, is sometimes we think we are only the person who is to hear someone's brokenness and give them Jesus, like that's your role in the church. And then there are other people who think, well, I'm just here because they need more messy people and I'll just vomit everything in my life on you. Healthy churches, we always go back and forth. There's no one here that has it all figured out who is not a mess, who's not struggling with sin, who's not trying to hide some brokenness. And so we all fill different roles in a community. And it says here, him we proclaim, we proclaim Christ. He is our hope, he is our rest, he is our peace. He's the only one that will fill you and set you free. Warning everyone teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Our job as Christians is to live that out with grace, warning and teaching and be able to help people in their maturity. And the great thing about the body of Christ is we're all in this together. Just because I stand up here every Sunday morning does not mean that I have everything in my life together. I'm here Sunday morning because I need to hear about Jesus also. We have communion every Sunday because I need this spiritual nourishment also. And I pray as you build relationships with people in this community and in your neighborhood that you would take that step to ask questions. How do you engage people about their own hope? their despair, their depression, their loss, and their hurt. 
And I encourage you, if you are, when you are here this morning and there's brokenness in your marriage, find someone who will be um, gracious and truthful with you. If you're here and you're lonely, find someone who can be gracious and truthful with you and point you to the only one that will fulfill you. So as we as a community uh, get more messy because there's more conflict, because there are more people, because God in his spirit is working on you and I and sin is being revealed, that's a win. It's not something to hide from. And as someone comes to you with their brokenness and need, I pray that you would uh, speak with wisdom and give them Jesus. Not condemnation, not the law, give them Jesus. Be broken with them. So then as they go through suffering, you can have empathy and walk with them in that suffering or brokenness or confession of their own sin. God continually works in and through his people. Always. He's always doing something. So our suffering's not in vain. Our calling, what we do with our days, is not in vain. Our struggle is not in vain because we have Jesus who is our hope. And this morning we come to celebrate this. We celebrate that Jesus is our hope by coming to the Lord's table together as a community. So won't you bow with me as we pray? Lord, we thank you that you are our hope. You are the God of all creation. There is none besides you. And we pray that your spirit would work within us, reveal what we hide in the darkness, that your light would shine, and it would be grace upon grace. And we pray as we come to this table that you would allow this to be a significant thing for each of us. Not a ritual but a significant element of worship this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.